We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 this morning, 1 John chapter 5. We've been in 1 John now for some time, and this is, Lord willing, the last message in this book, and that's kind of the way that, um, that I had somewhat planned this out as I was going through and, and, and just kind of sectioning things off, what are we going to look at, and then when I really got to, to digging into this, I thought, boy, this could be three or four uh, messages or maybe more, but I don't want to uh, weary you, so we're just going to have to go through this quickly today, and uh, I'll make a commitment to you. I'll do my best to go through it somewhat quickly if you will commit to taking some time maybe throughout the week and, and going over this again, maybe developing it a little bit further in your own heart and life. What we really come to here at the end of 1 John chapter 5 is somewhat of a summary and a final admonition as a result of the things that we have read and learned up to this point. And so we're going to pick this up in verse number 18 of 1 John 5. If you're able to stand for the reading of the scripture, I'd ask you to do that. If you're not able to, that's totally fine. But 1 John 5, 18 through 21, here's what the Bible says. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us in an understanding that we might know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God... Did, did you pick that up, Jesus Christ? This is the true God and eternal life. And then he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I want to preach to you this morning on here's what we know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful and eye-opening book, this epistle of 1 John. Thank you for the things that you have shown us and revealed to us as we've studied through this together, and now today as we look at some of the final thoughts that were given here, these inspired words of scripture to summarize that which we have learned and understood, Lord, I pray that we, you would take all of the truths that we have heard up to this point and bring them home to our hearts today. Lord, I don't know all the needs in this place, I certainly don't know the hearts, but Lord, you know every single heart here. You know every thought, every word, every deed. You know everything about us. And I pray that with that knowledge, that your spirit would search our hearts and, and take the truth of your word and drive it home into our lives, Lord. That we would be transformed by the word of God today. That you would change us to be more like Christ. Change us into his image as a result of the things that we hear today. May we apply them to our lives. Work among us, we pray, according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, as I said a moment ago, this is kind of a, a summary or a recap of what we've heard so far. And in these few short verses that we read just a moment ago, we find so many deep and, and powerful and theological truths that are packed in here that we won't have time to fully develop today. And hopefully most of them we've touched on throughout the course of our study here in 1 John, but I, I really just want to look at these verses with you today and reflect on some of the things that the Lord has taught us and maybe 
consider some things that we haven't considered to this point and, uh, and just allow the Lord to do what he would do among us. The first thing I want to point out to you here, uh, really before we get into the specifics of the verses, is, is what I call the, the faith of the Christian. Because I titled this message, Here's What We Know, based upon the fact that we find those words, we know, in verses 18, 19, and 20. If you look at verse 18, it says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Verse 19, we know that we are of God. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God hath come. And give us an understanding that we may know him, that is true. And really, this is a, a great summary of what we have learned in this book, that the faith of God's people is not rooted in an experience or a feeling uh, or, or an assumption, but it's rooted in that which we know based upon his word. In other words, we don't live, our faith is not conditional upon uh, our own heart and what we have dreamed up about God, but our faith is actually conditional upon the word of God, and thus saith the Lord, that is where our faith stands. And so I think it's so appropriate and so fitting that here, right at the end of the book, it's kind of this one after another punch of, we know this, we know these things, because the idea is that we are to take the truths that we have received and act upon them because we know these things to be true. As you look at this book, you find that the word know is actually found 27 times in these five chapters. It's, our faith is not uh, just a, a, a fleeting hope. It, 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 it's not this idea that we, uh, we just have this, this desire within ourselves to believe these things to be true. But these are things that we know. We find the word believe or some form of the word believe 10 times throughout the book. We find the word true or truth 15 times. Confidence three times. We find the word assurance. All throughout this book we find words that indicate that our faith is not, is not subject to our feelings. But it is, it, it is something that we can stand upon because it's rooted in thus saith the Lord. Therefore we know these things to be true. Therefore we act upon them. Some, some people would, would have us to believe that our, our faith is some kind of a, uh, really a superstitious uh, type of faith, that we're just uh, believing something, that some man-made doctrine or opinion, but really uh, our faith is, some, is so much more than that, isn't it? You see, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Every word that proceeds out of God's mouth, we can live by that. That is our faith. It is rooted in what we know. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith is in his word and what he has said. Faith is not a blind superstition. It's not this idea that we're just kind of blindly following because we're, we're foolish and we're unlearned and we're uh, just kind of weak people. I grew up hearing that in the world, and, and I haven't heard it so much lately, but, you know, faith is just a crutch. It's a crutch for weak people that are fearful and afraid of what the future might hold. That's not what my faith is. Uh, my faith is the very foundation I stand on. It is God's word and taking God at his word and acting upon it. So the faith of the Christian is rooted in what we know. We see the faith of the Christian then verses 18 through 20 really give us the facts of our condition. 
They, 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 they just kind of spell out for us and summarize what we have learned throughout this book about our standing before God. And he says in verse number 18, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. And as we, we looked at uh, these, these things throughout the book, I, I just want to reiterate that the Bible is not teaching us here what, what some would call sinless perfection. It's not teaching us that, that a Christian never sins or never struggles with the flesh because if that were the case, then we would all be hopeless, wouldn't we? I mean, I'd be in a lot of trouble if, if, if God said that his children could never possibly sin and, and therefore anyone who's ever committed a sin is not a child of God, we'd all be in trouble. In fact, earlier on in this book, what did he say? That if we say that we have no sin... We lie and, and do not the truth. We deceive ourselves and, and we actually make God out to be a liar because we're saying that we have no sin. So he's not saying that, that we don't sin in that sense that a, a Christian could never fall or never fail and, and, and never commit sin. That's not at all what he's saying. But as was mentioned, and Pastor Smith mentioned this on Wednesday night when he, he preached a tremendous message on holiness, being holy and being holy. And one of the things that he that he stated in there is, is that there is a sense in which the, the real me, that part of me which has been converted and, and is in Christ, my soul, my being in Christ is holy, it is sinless because Christ lives within me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I and my flesh don't still yield to temptation and sin. I, I think one way we could look at it would be like this. Throughout Scripture we find this this principle in the New Testament especially, that those who are in Christ, those who are saved, will never perish. We're told that. We'll never perish. We're even told we will never die. Jesus said that we will never die. But until the return of Christ, until the rapture, every one of us will face death. Right? In this life, in this world. And, and, and I've known... Hundreds, literally hundreds of believers in Christ, saved individuals who have died, and you probably do too. And so we, we're faced with, with really an, uh, an option, a choice. We either believe that the Bible got it wrong, God got it wrong, or maybe we need to understand what he's saying when he said that we'll never perish, that we'll never die. And we come to a biblical understanding that for the Christian, this, this life is really not it's really not a life in itself. This, this body that we live in is really a temporary dwelling place. And the body will die. This body that I live in, if, if I don't live long enough to see Christ return to this earth, my body will one day break down, shut down, and die. I have a lifespan, and so do you. And This body will die. But at the moment that this body dies... I don't lose consciousness and go into the ground. I am immediately ushered into the presence of the Lord where I, the real me, live eternally. And in that sense, though this body, this flesh will die, I will never die. I will live on with the Lord forever. And it's much the same when we talk about this concept of, of whosoever is born of God sinneth not. It doesn't mean that, that there's never, that you can never commit a sin in this physical fleshly body that you live in, but what it means is that that part of you, that real you that, that is a new creature in Christ is actually separate from this world. It's holy, it's distinct, and, and it, is, it, it is not wrapped up in sin like, 
like we were prior to salvation. We, we're free from that. We're delivered from that. And we are now righteous in God's sight, in his eyes. So whosoever is born of God sinneth not. That's one aspect of this. Here's the other aspect of this. Because we are righteous, because we are holy, we as God's children ought not to live lives like we did prior to salvation. We don't go and continue in the sin that we were saved from because grace can abound. Romans talks about that. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So the other aspect of this is that a child of God ought not to live a life of sinfulness and wickedness because we are born of God. We, we, we are not of this world any longer. So we're free from the bondage of sin. We know that as, as, as children of God, we're, we're free from sin. Praise the Lord for it. Verse 18 again, who, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. We understand that we've overcome our enemy. We have overcome the wicked one. Satan can no longer have control in my life. I'm not his child anymore. And so because of these truths, because of these realities, it ought to affect the way that I live. This understanding, this faith, this conviction that I have should change the way that I live. Go back a page or two with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3 and uh, verse number 2. We spent some time talking about this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's coming a day where I will not only be free from the power of sin but I'll be free from the presence of sin, and I'll be in the presence of the Lord. And in that moment, in that instance, when I see him as he is, I'll be delivered from this fleshly body, and I will, in that moment, be like Jesus. And I look forward to that day. But notice the very next verse. It says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. If we have this knowledge, this confidence, this hope, that one day we will be like Christ, everyone who has that knowledge in them seeks to be like Christ in this life. If, if the gospel has changed me and saved me, it just, it just follows that it's going to affect the way that I live, that even though while in this earthly body I'll still struggle with the temptation to sin and, 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 and the pressure of sin, and sometimes I'll even yield to that and, and, and be a servant of sin in that sense. If I have this, this hope that one day I'm going to be delivered from this, it ought to affect me in such a way that I say, I want to live every day more and more like my Savior, because I know that one day I'm going to be like him. I, I mean, this is something, this isn't just something like, you know, one of, the, one of these days, I guess I'll, I'll get over it. No, everyone that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. If we know this, if we're begotten of God, we, we'll keep ourselves. We'll strive to, to draw near to him and, and live like what we really are. So we know that. We know, verse 18, that we are free from the bondage of sin. Secondly, 
we know that the world is lost and wicked. Look at verse number 19. It says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Do you realize that the condition of the world all around you, the lost of this world that don't know Christ, are living in darkness and wickedness? They are. Now that's something that maybe we grasp that theologically. We, we understand, okay, the, that neighbor that I have uh, that doesn't know the Lord, yeah, he's, he's in bondage to sin, he's in darkness, he's lying in wickedness. And that co-worker that I have, that family member that I know that needs Jesus, we, we know that to be the case, but folks, do we understand it? Do we really uh, uh, let that affect our lives? In Acts chapter 26, Paul is recounting the Lord's calling upon his life. And in verse number 18, he says that, that the Lord sent him to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. The, the, the lost of this world are not only in darkness, but they are under the power of Satan. They are in his kingdom that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The whole world lies in wickedness and darkness. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? First of all, if you are not walking in darkness, if you are in the light because you are in Christ, there ought to be a distinction between you and the world. The whole world lies in wickedness. The, the philosophies of the world and the, the desires of the world, the interests of the world, the, the thinking of the world, the, whatever it might be, all of the, the world system is corrupt and flawed and wicked. We are of a different world. Those of us who are saved are, are translated into the kingdom of Christ. We are not of this world, but so frequently God's people blend right in with the world and it is not to be the case that is not what God wants of us we, we're we're delivered from this we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not but the world lies in wickedness therefore here's the conclusion we ought not to be like the world we're not called to look like the world act like the world think like the world go with me to the book of Ephesians if you would friends listen there is a dangerous philosophy among, if I can use, maybe use the term, and I'll use it somewhat loosely, evangelical Christianity. Here's the dangerous philosophy. If we want to reach the world, we need to be like them. We don't want to be too distinct and too separate from the world because we'll never be able to really reach them and connect with them and relate to them if we aren't kind of like them. And so this philosophy then promotes this idea that we're just going to kind of, yeah, we'll be a little bit different. We'll, we'll you know, maybe have a different attitude, a different outlook on life, but we're going to talk like the world and, and look like the world and live like the world so that we can reach them. But here's the thing. The whole world lies in wickedness. The whole world lies in darkness. Do you know, do you know how to deliver someone out of darkness? You bring light to them. You don't just come alongside of them in the darkness. If someone's lost out in the woods in the middle of the night, you know what they're looking for? Someone with a flashlight. 
Someone with, with, with light, someone that can lead them to the, to the truth, to the, to the true way. How do I find my way out of this darkness? But in this philosophy, people just kind of say, you know what, we're, we're just going to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, and in so doing, we'll reach them. Folks, if there's no distinction, there's no difference, what are you winning them to? The beginning of 1 John talks about it, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. The light shines into the darkness. It, it reveals the truth. It opens the eyes of the lost. And we are called to be light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling sweet savor. But listen to this. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Notice he's not saying that if a Christian acts this way or behaves this way, that they're going to lose their salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, you're delivered from that. Don't be a partaker with those who are on the road to destruction. Don't live like that. Verse number 8, listen to this. For ye were sometimes darkness. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Guess what? I was part of that. I was lost. I was away from God. I was a, a stranger to God. I was an enemy to God. And I was totally blind to my sin. Until the light of the gospel came in and the Spirit of God gave me understanding of my lost condition and my need for salvation. And in repentance, I turned to Christ in faith, believing upon Him and, and asking for His forgiveness. He saved me. He changed me and made me a new creature I was sometimes darkness, but listen to this, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is what I am in Christ. I am light in the Lord. And now the admonition is, live like it. Walk as children of light. A act like it. Act what you are. If you're saved, you ought to show that forth. Look at verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
What's he saying? Hey, you've been saved. You've been delivered. Don't act like the lost of this world. They don't need another copy of themselves. The world doesn't need someone else to, to pretend to act like them and live like them. There are plenty of lost people in the world to do that. If they're looking for friends who are going to lead them in unrighteousness and, 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 and participate in all the things that they're doing, they have no problem finding that in the world. But we are the light that God has put in this world. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus is revealed in John chapter 1 as the light of the world. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He said, I am the light of the world. 1 John 1, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So who is the light of the world? Well, Jesus is. Except in Matthew chapter 5, what did he say? Ye are the light of the world. How, are, how am I the light? I thought he was the light of the world. Well, you see, it's Christ revealed in me. And if he's in me, the light of the Lord should shine through me. And I'm not to hide that light. I'm not to cover that light. I'm not to shield that light for fear that it's going to offend someone or turn someone away. I'm supposed to let the light of the Lord shine through me so that others may see my good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. So we're, we're to walk as children of light. If you've been saved, if you've been delivered, understand that the whole world lieth in wickedness. But we're not in darkness. We're to walk differently, and we have the duty to seek the salvation of this lost world. Go back with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And then verse number 20. I love this, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. Here's what we know. I'm not what I used to be. The world is as needy as it's ever been, but I know the solution to their problem it's Jesus Christ. He's the answer. He's the solution. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him. And if I can just say for a moment here, this is the grace of God. If you are saved today, it is not because of you. It's not because of anything you've done. It's because of what He did on the cross to save you, but, but even... In, to, to the point of illumination, to show you your lost condition, to work in your heart and draw you unto himself. He hath given us an understanding that we may know him. I'm thankful that God opened my eyes. I'm thankful for that. Now, now listen, please do not misunderstand me. I am not in any way a Calvinist, that believes in, you know, irresistible grace or unconditional election or any of those points of tulip. I mean, some of them are just heretical, folks. This, this concept of limited atonement, that Christ didn't die for, for, for everyone, for the sins of the world, but only for the elect. Listen, 
We've been in 1 John. What does it say? He's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm thankful that salvation is available to all through the gospel. But I do want you to know this. There is a biblical doctrine that teaches us that we cannot be saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, showing us our need for Christ, opening our understanding to the gospel. He opens our eyes and reveals truth to us. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. I'm thankful for God's drawing, his convicting, the work of the Holy Spirit that brought me to a point of repentance and faith in him. And he's given me that understanding and has changed me. But now that I know him and I know the truth, I have a duty to take that truth to the world. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. I love this statement. This is the true God. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, he is God, and he is eternal life. We read just a few verses ago in verse number 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Jesus is not only the way of salvation, he's not only the way of eternal life, he is eternal life. He said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And true salvation, eternal life, is found only in Jesus. And unless you are in him, you don't have salvation. You don't have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Why? Because he is eternal life. That's the solution for this world, is to turn to Christ and be saved, to receive him and to be in him and these are the facts of our condition that we were just like the world lying in wickedness in darkness but now we have been redeemed we have been saved and we know that we have eternal life because we are in him but that ought to affect the way that we live and behave and, and act so that we can be the light that God has called us to be to shine into a world of darkness that they may also know what we know. So we saw the faith of the Christian, we saw the facts of our condition, and then finally, he wraps up the, the book with a statement that may, if you just read through it, it may just seem kind of out of place. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. It's the final conclusion. In other words, in light of all the things that have been previously discussed, keep yourselves from idols. Now there's a there's a point in which we can say, and especially historically here, that, that this would apply to false religions of the world that would encourage someone maybe to bow down to a, a false statue or idol and worship a false god. But we also understand from the scriptures that an idol is really anything that takes priority in our lives before the Lord. And, and it's interesting to me that in light of all the things that have been stated here in 1 John, he wraps it up by saying, keep yourselves from idols. If you were to go back with me to 1 John chapter 2, I want you to notice that he says here in verse number 12, 
I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 13, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Then he says, I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. We took some time and looked at that subject of children and fathers and young men, and we saw that these are different stages of spiritual growth in the Christian life, that there are those who are babes in Christ, they're little children, spiritually speaking, there are those who are spiritually mature that could be considered to be fathers and, and those to be followed or looked up to, and then there are those who are young men who are in that stage of overcoming and gaining victory in their life, and the Word of God is dwelling in them. And we talked about these stages of the Christian life, and yet all of those groups are addressed in this little statement, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What do we learn from that? That you and I, no matter where we are in our journey in Christ, need to be careful not to be distracted by the things of this world that would keep us from being what we ought to be in Christ. We are to keep our eyes on the Lord and drawing close to Him and keeping ourselves from idols. James chapter 1 and verse 27, it says this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. There, there is a, a sense in which we need to understand that as Christians walking in this world, that we are constantly touched by and tainted by the wickedness of this world. It, it's, we're bombarded all the time. Things that are entering into our eyes and our ears, things we see, things we hear that begin to influence us and affect us. But we need to constantly remember to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Keep ourselves from idolatry. Keep ourselves from anything that would take us away from our relationship with God. And if we know these things to be true, we ought to walk accordingly. Listen, all of these things are stated that we might know that we're saved, that we might know that we have eternal life, that we might have fellowship with God and with His people, that we might have fullness of joy. Those were the stated purposes of this book as given. And the, the, the theological truths that are contained herein have been challenging and convicting, but now it all gets wrapped up in this, and it says basically this. <clears throat> if you are saved, there's one thing you need to be concerned about. Don't be distracted by the idolatry of this world. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves in love with God. Jude said it this way, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You go back to the Old Testament. You read through the history of the nation of Israel and their downfall was always idolatry. Now, their idolatry was, was often just that. It was false religions. I mean, they would literally carve idols out and bow before these things. They would make altars unto false gods, and, and God dealt with that. But one of the things you find in the New Testament is that the history of the nation of Israel has a real parallel with New Testament Christianity. 
and the life of a believer. And our susceptibility to just kind of being pulled away by other things, the things of this world that would draw away our attention from the Lord. One of the things that God told his people, Israel, is that they were not to uh, associate and affiliate with other nations that didn't know the Lord because the concern was that they would begin to worship the gods that those other nations worshipped. Do you know what happens sometimes? Even Christian people, because we live in this wicked world and we're influenced by so many things of this world, we can sometimes begin to love and seek after and go after the things that the world goes after. Money and materialism and relationships and uh, position, reputation, the things that the world is pining for and longing for, we live in this world long enough, we start to think like that too and act like that and allow it to influence us and affect us. But listen, we're called to be different. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Don't allow, don't, don't be like the world. Don't live for the things of the world. Don't worship the things of the world. We're different. We're in Christ. Little children, been saved for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, or you're a new believer in Christ, or you're somewhere in between. Children, fathers, young men, little children, keep yourselves from idols.